If you would, turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8. And though we will be focusing mostly on verse 20 in chapter 8, I want to read to us the whole chapter. This is the word of our God. At that time, says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of its princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, which they have loved and which they have served, and after which they have walked, which they have sought, and which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. Then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family, who remain in all the places where I have driven them, says the Lord of hosts. Moreover, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back? Jerusalem, in a perpetual backsliding. They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into the battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove, the swift, And the swallow, observe the time of their coming, but my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to others and their fields to those who will inherit them. Because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their punishment, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. And the leaf shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves, and let us enter the fortified cities, and let us be silent there. For the Lord our God has put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink, because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health, and there was trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones, for they have come and devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I will send serpents among you, vipers which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people 
from a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images, with foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we pray for your guidance. Lord, for your spirit to work among us. Lord, please teach us your ways. Lord, use your word to bring repentance. Use your word, Lord, to bring correction to us. And Lord, use your word to bring hope and life to us in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his holy name. Amen. I am much indebted to Charles Spurgeon in this message. Many of his insights were very helpful. And I would highly recommend his sermon on this text. As we reach the end of another summer, I think it's appropriate for us to stop and take stock of our lives. Many people, perhaps most, do this around the beginning of the calendar year. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as we go from one season into another, from one period of God's providential care into another, I think it's profitable for our souls to take inventory of the things that have happened over this year and to think about what might be in store for us in the season ahead. And no doubt as we look back, all of us can recount blessings and trials that we've experienced in this year so far. Even the most charmed life has some measure of regret in it. And even the most difficult life has measures of blessings that can be known and experienced. Life is always a mixture of trial and blessing. And we are in the trial, sometimes we don't see the blessing. And when we're experiencing the blessing, sometimes we forget about the real struggles that attend all of us, all of our days. But every Christian knows that this is certainly true. And, and the Lord never forsakes his people, even in the most difficult circumstances. His judgments are always accompanied by mercies. And so let us take the opportunity to consider again what God has done for us so far in this year and throughout our lives. Think about blessings. Think about his faithfulness if you were a child of God. He's been faithful to you over this last year, and it is wise and helpful for us to recount that. But as, let us also take this occasion to think about the opportunities we've had so far this year. God has given to all of us a variety of opportunities. Life is filled with opportunities, but sometimes we overlook them because we don't recognize opportunity when it shows up. Thomas Edison once famously said, and he was a prolific inventor, and he had a hand in making so much of what we take for granted today. He said, opportunity is missed by most because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. And so we don't see it as an opportunity. But there are other ways to miss opportunities. You can overlook opportunities by not recognizing their presence until they're taken away. Or you might think, well, yeah, this is an opportunity, but I'll always have that opportunity available. And only when it's gone do you realize what you've missed. That's probably true for some of us here today. Some of us have either had this experience or are going to have this experience where you have opportunity to be reconciled to a friend or to a loved one with whom you're estranged, and you think, yeah, but there will be a better moment. There'll be a better circumstance. 
There'll be an opportunity in the future for me to make that phone call and to to visit and to extend forgiveness or to ask for forgiveness. And so, so you know it's there, but you don't just take advantage of it. And then you wake up to discover a death has occurred or some other circumstance has changed that renders that opportunity lost. And it's sad, but very true, often true, that important opportunities are not fully appreciated or recognized until they're lost, until they've passed us by. And then it's too late. Lost opportunities are a source of great regret. As we look back on life, we can certainly see that among the greatest tragedies in life are wasted opportunities. And the more important the opportunity is, the greater the tragedy when it is missed. In this message today, I want to talk to you about a great tragedy of a missed opportunity, an amazing opportunity that the people of God in the Old Testament missed. The Jews, the people of Judah, were blessed by God. They were given incredible opportunities by God to know him, to follow him, to live for him. And yet they squandered them. And as we look at their experience, we can learn from their experience and apply their circumstances to our own circumstances today and learn important lessons from them. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet by God to God's people in Judah during some of the saddest days, maybe the saddest days of of that nation's history. Because of their sin and perpetual hard-heartedness, God sent judgment against his old covenant people. And he did it by raising up another nation, the nation of Babylon, with their notorious, their wicked, their treacherous king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar led his forces into Jerusalem, into Judah. They destroyed the temple and conquered God's people and took them captive. And Babylon brought all the nations in the Syro-Palestinian region under their control And by the year 603 B.C., even Judah was beginning to feel the domination of this kingdom that within a few years would completely overtake it. Jeremiah, speaking as God's prophet, told the people that God's judgment was coming. He told them that unless they repented, this would be their end. And yet the people did not listen to him because There were other prophets in Judah, not sent by God, but false prophets. And they assured the Jews that this isn't going to happen. You're God's people. He's going to take care of you. This will continue on with more and more opportunities. The people believed those false prophets, unfortunately. And they just assumed that somehow, some way, because of who they were, God would deliver them from the threat of Babylon. But that didn't happen. Nebuchadnezzar did overthrow Jerusalem and all of Judah. And as that reality of being overthrown was sinking in to the people of Judah, they began to realize the seriousness of their situation. And it began to dawn on them how foolish they had been for squandering the many opportunities that God had given to them to be reconciled to him, to repent of their sin, to return to the way of faith, of living before him in faith. So the eighth eighth chapter of Jeremiah records for us a great deal of what's going on in this moment of their awareness. We have in the eighth chapter a mixture of God's accusations against Judah and what they've done. We see also the prophet's response as he weeps over the people's hard-heartedness and unwillingness to repent. And then we get various expressions from the people themselves, one of which is our primary text this afternoon. We're going to zero in on that one verse, Jeremiah 8 and verse 20. This is a summary of the people's lament to God about their missed opportunities. The harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. 
Is there any sadder testimony to be found anywhere in the Old Testament? These are words drained of all hope, one writer put it. These are words that are filled with regret. And we think about them and consider the context in which they were spoken. The lesson that these words teach is very clear. One day it will be too late to be saved. One day it will be too late to be saved. It's a lesson that is hard for many to come to believe because so many days have followed one another over the course of a lifetime to think, well, surely tomorrow will just be like today. But these words of our text were spoken by the Judeans as the truth of them was dawning upon them in the midst of being overthrown by Babylon. They saw the onslaught of the onslaught of Nebuchadnezzar and his armies and remembered the many opportunities that God had given them to return to him, to repent of their sin. And they realized in that moment that they had squandered every last one of them. And now they passed that point of no return. And all that was coming on them was the very judgment that God had warned them to escape. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he preached so often to these people who were hard-hearted and ridiculed him and even tried to kill him and rejected the word he had been preaching to God's people for many years. He pled for them. He wept for them. He prayed for them. And yet, as verse 5 says, the people continued to turn away from the word of God And they gave themselves over to a way of living that God himself calls perpetual backsliding. Not occasional falling away, but living in a standard, in a method that rejected the word of God. This sad testimony is a reminder to us that one day it will be too late to be saved. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. I wonder if that fits the case of some of us here today. You've heard God's word. You know the truth of the scriptures. You've heard hundreds, if not thousands, of sermons. And yet you sit unsaved. Could these words be a dreadful foreshadowing of the words you yourself will speak one day when it's too late? Or will these words be as they are intended to be? A warning to you. Another call to you to consider your life right now. And to acknowledge that this God that you have ignored against whom you have sinned is calling you again to be reconciled to him today. There are three points from this verse that I want to call our attention to this this afternoon. First, is that spiritual opportunities can be repeatedly wasted. They can be repeatedly wasted. Judah was given incredible multiple opportunities to be saved. And for most of Jeremiah's life, Judah had been ruled by a good king, one of the best kings in the history of Judah, a man named Josiah, who when the law of God was discovered and brought to him, called upon the whole nation to turn away from their pagan idolatries, from their ways of living contrary to the law, and called upon the country to be reformed according to God's law. There was opportunity for genuine repentance under Josiah, and yet the people demonstrated that all of their changes were only external. They didn't last. They didn't go to the heart. Another opportunity had been given to Judah under the faithful ministry of Jeremiah to hear the word of God. He repeatedly spoke God's word to them for 25 years leading up to the time when Nebuchadnezzar came and captured the Jews. Jeremiah had been warning them. He had been pleading with them, speaking the word of God to them. And they refused to heed what that word said. Judah wasted her opportunities. The people complained against God in our text. We are not saved. As if 
God, why haven't you done this? When in reality, the fault was their own. They squandered opportunities to be saved. How did they do that? Well, they looked to the wrong place for help. At this time in the history of Judah, there was a pro-Egyptian movement among some of their leadership. That is, with the rise of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon conquering the other kingdoms surrounding Judah, Judah began to look to Pharaoh and to Egypt and think, surely Pharaoh will be strong enough to withstand Nebuchadnezzar. And they began to make appeals to Egypt. Think about that. Egypt, the place of their bondage, the place where their forefathers had spent 400 years in hard bondage, where they had been enslaved. And now the threat arises and they look back to the place of their slavery for deliverance. But isn't that exactly what we do today? Your life goes bad. You have difficulties. You have trials. And you want life to keep working. You want meaning in life. So what do we do so often? Well, we turn to everything and everyone except God. We turn to the pursuit of wealth. And we think, if we only get a little bit more, well, then my life will work. Or it may be education or prestige or popularity or family or status. Any number of these sources can be drawn to take us away from the one source of salvation. When you put your hope and confidence for your life being made right in anything other than Jesus Christ, you're looking back to Egypt and you'll be eternally ruined. Judah continued to refuse to return to God's way despite many overtures by God through his prophet. They continued to provoke God with their idolatry. Look at verse 19. It indicates there that they worshipped false gods. Verse 19, listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people from a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and foreign idols? They worshipped false gods. But spiritual idolatry continues today. Not so much by the building of little replicas of gods in our homes, but by valuing things or people more than we value God. Loving your children more than you love God. Loving your spouse more than you love God. Loving your comforts more than you love God. Your conveniences more than God. The heart has a thousand ways to manufacture idols to turn us away from God. And the people rejected God's word. Look at verse 9. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? These are people that for nearly a generation had rejected the faithful preaching of God's word by the prophet Jeremiah. Repeatedly, he stood before them as a mouthpiece of God saying, Thus says the Lord, God's word to you is this. And some of them would listen politely and nod and then go away and live exactly the way they had been living. They didn't take to heart the messages of God's word that were brought to them. And I want to ask you very pointedly today, friend, brothers and sisters, what is your attitude toward the Word of God? How do you receive the Word of God when it's preached, when it's taught to you? Do you stand in judgment over it? Trying to determine for yourself what you're going to accept and what you're not? Or do you Come hungry and dependent, opening up your life and praying, Oh God, speak to me. Have your way with me. When you hear God's word contradict your thinking, 
when you hear God's word judging your activities, when you hear God's word pleading with you to turn away from the path that you're on, how do you respond to that? Ah, that was a nice sermon. It was good to hear that today. Or do you come with submissiveness? Lord, speak. We will hear. We will obey. We will submit to what you are saying. The truth of the matter is this. There are undoubtedly some of you that have been for years under the teaching of God's word. Children, listen to me. You've grown up hearing God's word taught week by week and sometimes day by day in your homes. And yet you continue on thinking that today is just like yesterday and that it will just be like tomorrow and nothing changes. You have just figured out a way to live, to go about your life, maybe keeping God somehow tangentially involved in your life, but not submitting to his word, not taking it seriously. Some of us have heard thousands of sermons, and yet they have not changed us because you've not received the word with faith and haven't come with the predisposition that says, God, whatever you say, I'm going to obey. I'm going to believe. Wherever you lead, I'm going to follow. You're right and you're true. Do you read your Bible with the expectation that God will speak to you through Scripture? Do you expect Him to direct you in specific paths? Do you diligently try to understand the Scripture? Do you take the message of God's Word to heart, expecting to be shaped, expecting to be changed by what He says? You know, the whole point of the Bible is to set before us the truth about God and the truth about ourselves so that we will come to appreciate the truth about Jesus Christ that we have in the gospel. The Bible's whole message is that God has created us and every one of us, you, me, everybody, know we have sinned against him. We've rebelled against our God and creator and that sin separates us and makes us liable to his judgment. And yet God in his kindness has sent his son. In his love, he sent his son in order to rescue sinners who have rebelled against him. And Jesus Christ came into the world and he lived the life that God requires of us. He never once sinned. He performed righteousness that you and I owe to God but cannot pay. And then he chose to die on the cross on behalf of sinners like you and me. Because the debt of our sin, we could only pay with eternal damnation. And he's done it so that you and me and anyone who hears of God's grace and his son Jesus Christ may come to Christ and believe Christ and submit to Christ and be reconciled to God and find life. That's the message of the Bible. And some of you have heard that message hundreds, if not thousands, of Lord's Days. And you're still not believing in Him. You've heard this message, and if you don't turn from your sin and trust Jesus, you could well be included with these Jews in the Old Testament who say, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And yet God has given you an opportunity today. He's brought you here on this Sunday of the summer, the last Sunday of the summer, to hear his word, believe his word, take God at his word. If you're unwilling to take God at his word and submit yourself to Christ for forgiveness of sins, for new life, then do not be shocked if on that day when he appears, you have to say with the unrepentant Old Testament Judah what it said. Opportunity was given Opportunity was squandered, and I'm not saved. These Judeans refused to repent. In verse 12, here's the indictment against them. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed 
nor did they know how to blush. Think about that. They had lost the ability to feel ashamed, becoming so hardened and so comfortable in their way of disobedience to God that they saw no reason to be embarrassed for their sin. God, through Jeremiah, repeatedly called them to turn to him. And yet, they repeatedly ignored those calls. Now, I wonder, how many of you have heard numerous messages on the truth of, word, of, of God, the truth of God's word, that he is working from the beginning toward the end? And as we've read from him in his word today, is going to one day bring all things to a conclusion. You've heard that. You cannot say that you don't understand the Bible to teach that God is going to bring world history to an end one day. You know that that is true. And yet, you live as, as if it's not true. Is that your case, friend? Have you listened to what the Bible says about the coming day of judgment? The last day of history? and yet been satisfied to continue to live as if history is going to continue on forever? Scripture calls us to live in the light of this truth and to turn from our sin, to be reconciled to God through His way of salvation, to be saved. And yet, for many, it's easy to listen to those things and become so comfortable with your way of life, contrary to what God says that you sit here unsaved. Judah put confidence in their privileged position before the Lord. Look again at verse 19. This is what they said that salved their consciences when it was pricked and, and awakened. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? In other words, aren't we God's people? Aren't we privileged people? Hasn't God shown us his truth? It's as if they had a superstitious confidence in their status and opportunities. In the seventh chapter, they talked about the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Jeremiah preached a famous sermon against it because they would say, well, we've got God's temple. The temple of the Lord is here. Nebuchadnezzar isn't going to destroy Jerusalem because the temple is here. And Jeremiah exposed the fallacy of that reasoning in that famous sermon. Jews had greater privileges than other nations. They had God's law. They had God's covenants. They had his promises. They had his prophets. And yet, they put their confidence in their privileges. And they missed God. So that they came to the point where they had to say, the harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. The great danger lives with us today. You might count yourself religious. You might think, well, I go to church and I read my Bible. And I've been baptized. Any number of religious activities that you think put you in a realm of safety. When in reality your soul is still estranged from your creator. And God has repeatedly called you to turn from your sin. To trust Jesus to be saved. And you have found a comfort that will take you to hell. And the fact that you have been baptized and you go to church and you read the Bible and you do religious things. All of these privileges that are given to us. None of these things can save you. You must be born of God's spirit. You must trust Jesus Christ as Lord. And if you trust Christ as Lord, you will be saved. You will be reconciled to God. Judah refused to admit from what they needed to be saved. What they needed to be saved from, that, that they would not admit. They saw Nebuchadnezzar. They saw the Babylonian armies. They wanted to be delivered from that. 
And they didn't connect the dots that this was the consequence of their sin. They wanted to be delivered from the consequences of their sin rather than being delivered from their sin. They were more concerned about what might happen to them rather than what was wrong with them. That's true for many of us today, isn't it? Sometimes we reason that way. Sometimes marriage goes south, you get in trouble with the law or with, or with school, or, and you want to be delivered from the consequences of what got you into the mess rather than honestly looking at your sin that may have contributed to your mess. Jesus is a savior of sinners. He came to, to save us from our sin and not in our sin. When people are looking to be alleviated from the consequences of sin, they become susceptible to false prophets. We also see that here. They come and they offer a panacea. They come and they offer ease. They offer you promises that are extracted from and separated from God's word. And as happened, we we read about this in verse 11. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He is the friend of sinners, but he is the enemy of sin. And if you want to have your sin and have Jesus, you need to be told the truth. You can't have it both ways. Jesus will save you from your sin. He will not save you in your sin. And if only you could see the truth about sin and what it's doing to you, if you could only believe what the Bible says about how sin perverts us, it turns us away from what God's called us to be, what he's created us to be. Until that sin is dealt with, you will never come to experience what God has called you to be. You will never be reconciled to God. Do you want to be free from your sin? Do you want to be saved from your sin? There is a Savior for sinners. That's why Jesus came. Look to Christ. Trust Christ. Believe Christ. And you will be free from your sin. And you finally believe that and you come to see your position as a sinner in need of a Savior. You'll realize that Jesus is the only Savior of sinners this world has. Judah wasted Countless opportunities. But not only can those opportunities be wasted, but this text teaches us that seasons of spiritual opportunity do not last forever. Seasons of spiritual opportunity do not last forever. God had given his people a very gracious and generous season to turn from their sin. For 25 years, the prophet Jeremiah faithfully preached God's word to them before Nebuchadnezzar came and captured them. Jeremiah Jeremiah taught them of the new covenant that God would make with his people. Covenant blessings that included a new heart. Complete forgiveness of sins. And then he called them to look to God, to take God at his word, to trust God in the one who would send the Messiah to accomplish this new covenant. And yet, they rejected that message. He gave them many opportunities for renewal. And God, in his patience and his long-suffering, continued to be patient with them. Continued to be patient with his people. And he is patient with his people. But friend, God's patience is not eternal. He will come to the end of his patience on the day that he brings history to a close. He gives us many examples of this in Scripture. Perhaps the most graphic is what he does during the life and ministry of Noah. Noah, a man that God had called out in a world that had given itself over to wickedness and rebellion and violence. For 120 years, he preached the truth of God's word. Not one person believed that we're told of. 
until the day came when the ark was completed. And God put Noah and his family on the ark. And the scripture says that he closed the door. He shut them in. His patience was over. 120 years of grace and opportunity. 120 years to believe. 120 years to turn. 120 years to be reconciled. And the day the door was closed, it was over. Brothers and sisters and friends, we are living in a day of grace right now. We're living in a day of opportunity right now. For some of us, this season of grace has stretched over many, many years. And the danger that we face is believing that the day of gospel opportunity will last forever. But if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. The day of gospel opportunity will not last forever. It will come to a close. God will not continue letting things go on as they have always gone. Harvest. The harvest will be passed. The summer will come to an end. And unless you have seized the opportunity afforded to you to believe the gospel, to trust Jesus Christ, you will have to say with these ancient Israelites, the day of grace is ended and I am not saved. Scripture says, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Now, I am obviously closer to the day of my death than I am to the day of my birth. And there are many of you here for whom that is true. That is obvious. But there are others of you of whom... That is true, and it's not obvious. But you don't know the day of your death. But you can know that the day of your death and opportunities to hear and believe the gospel and be reconciled to God will be forever ended at that day of death. So don't take lightly God's word. Don't sit idly and endure this message. If you believe that this is the word of God, if God is convincing you of his truth, then repent from your heart. Turn and acknowledge and cry out to God from your heart. If you will trust Christ, God will accept you. God will have you today. There's a reason that we are here today. Why do you think he brought us here? It's not an accident. God intends for you to think about your soul today. He intends for you to consider eternity today. He intends for you to hear his call again to repent and commit yourself, soul and body, to Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior. The third lesson that we should see from this text is that spiritual opportunities lost can never be recovered. Spiritual opportunities lost can never be recovered. One writer put it this way, where the opportunity's loss is final, the regret over lost opportunities is eternal. One of the saddest scenes in the Old Testament has to do with the sons of Isaac, the patriarch Isaac, his sons Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn. He was the son of the inheritance. He was the one to receive the blessing from his father by right. But in a weak moment, he sold his birthright to his conniving brother Jacob. And Jacob received the blessing from Isaac, not Esau. And in Genesis chapter 27, verse 34, the word of God records this. When Esau heard the words of his father that the blessing had been given to his brother. He cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. It was too late. His opportunity was lost. He squandered his opportunity and as a result had been rejected and lost forever. Friend, don't trifle with your soul. Don't play deadly games with your soul. 
Don't think that you'll have another opportunity and another opportunity. Today, now is the day of salvation. God has given you His Word. He has set Scripture before you. He is calling you to turn from sin and trust Jesus as Lord and be reconciled to your Creator. Call upon the Lord today. Pray to the Lord to save you. I hope it is not the case, but there may be those here who have wasted hundreds of these opportunities, maybe thousands. But here you are, and God has given you another opportunity Don't discount God's goodness to you today. Don't just turn this off as another sermon, another Sunday activity. Call upon the Lord to save you. He will save you. I want to ask you what your relationship is to God and his word today. Are you trusting him? Is Christ your Lord? Have you been reconciled to your creator through what Jesus Christ has done? Are you, or are you living the way the text describes these Old Testament Judeans when it says they were in perpetual backsliding, clinging to your sin, not willing to turn from sin to trust your Savior completely? Don't be deceived. It matters to God what you do with His Word. He cares how you hear His Word. Don't squander that love. Don't disdain his kindness and his grace. But take him at his word and believe that this word is for you. And hear him call you today. Be reconciled to God. Today, you and I are one day closer to the day of our death. To the day when it will be too late If you never trusted Christ, trust him today. Our heart's desire is to help you to come to understand and know and believe this good news of salvation for sinners like you and me. If you want to talk about this more, we are available to talk. Pastor Daniel is available. Other members are available Help you see and understand more clearly what Scripture has to say when God calls you to give yourself up to him, to be born of his spirit, and to be reconciled to him through what his son has done, to come to know forgiveness of sins. You can know that by trusting Christ as Lord. Brothers and sisters, I want you to think about friends that you have, family members. There are some people who put their legs under your table every day, who are strangers to Jesus Christ. They've never turned from sin and trusted Christ. I know you love them. I know you care about them. But have you ever been tempted to just kind of give up on them or just kind of let things go with them? This scripture tells us that the day is coming when it's going to be too late. God's mercies will not continue to be offered They will not continue to be made available forever. The urgency is significant. And we must overcome all the inhibitions that keep us from speaking to them, thinking, oh, well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to be misunderstood. Can you not just with love, with tears, say, would you consider what the Scripture says? I heard this sermon today from this verse. Let me read this verse to you from Jeremiah 8.20. There is a day coming when it will be too late. I don't want you to miss God's grace in Jesus Christ. Can you speak to them like that? Can't you plead with them? Can't you pray for them? And ask them to heed the gospel of salvation? Offer to read the Bible with them? Give them a gospel tract or a booklet and ask if they would be willing to sit down with you and a friend and talk about what the Bible says about salvation. Whatever excuses and hesitations have lived in our minds, may God help us 
to throw them away today. Because the scripture tells us that as long as there is breath, there is hope. And it says, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. There may not be a tomorrow. The day is coming when it will not be. There will not be a tomorrow. Because the day is coming when the harvest will be passed. The summer will be ended. And the day of God's grace will come to a close. It will be too late. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Lord, thank you that you have been gracious to warn us. Lord, to show us the deception that lies within us. Lord, use your word as a purging fire. Lord, cause it to be the instrument of salvation for those who do not yet believe. Let them see the truth of this warning and flee to Christ while there is yet time. And Lord, for us who are your children, Lord, use this word to prune us. Lord, to cause us to grow in your grace. And Lord, be ready to serve you and obey you, showing the work of your spirit in us. Lord, let us be mindful of the time. Lord, knowing that this day of grace could come to an end. Lord, please give us hearts to love our fellow creatures, our neighbors, our family, our friends, our co-workers. And Lord, be ready to proclaim your truth to them. Hoping, Lord, that it will be what you use to save them. Lord, thank you. Bless us all. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.